la 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 You're listening to Silver Threads, the podcast celebrating 25 years of the Hares and Hyenas bookstore in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Supported by the UNESCO City of Literature Known Bookshops Fund, in association with the Australian Lesbian and Gay Archives, and in partnership with Melbourne Library Service. Warning, the following program contains explicit content and themes. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Silver Threads. In this episode, we go back to September 7 in 2015 and throw out the stereotypes and the old expectations to talk about sex. That's right, we're talking about sex after 50, 60, 70 and beyond. With Joan Price and Linda Kirkman as our guides, we'll debunk myths as we cover all the facets of relationship diversity and sexual health. How's that? Hey. Thank you for coming, everybody. This is pretty exciting. You ready to talk about sex? All right. (laughs) Always. I know, I could talk about sex under wet cement for hours at a time. So, Linda, let's start by finding out who Linda Kirkman is, okay? All right. Linda, I want you to tell me who are you? What have you done? What are you doing now? And what do you get passionate about teaching? Or just doing, maybe. Um, okay, I'm, I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher of all kinds for a really long time. And I'm a sex educator entrepreneur. That's how I like to think of myself. So that's, this, this is part of that. I've just, I'm a sex researcher as well. I've just finished a PhD in looking at baby boomers in friends with benefits relationships, which really opened my eyes totally to relationship diversity. I hadn't kind of thought about polyamory much until I started getting into the whole um, academic literature around poly, and I listened to the Poly Weekly podcast from the US, Mm -hmm. and then I thought, oh, I wonder if there's anything in Australia, and I did it. (laughs) I know. There was, I live in Bendigo, there was a polyamory group in Bendigo. Amazing. So, um, and, and since and through that, I've kind of got into a whole other um, sex-positive, sex relationship, gender identity, sexuality, diverse community, which is really good, really good fun. I, I like to think of myself at the moment as an advocate for awareness of and acceptance of diversity in, in relation to sexuality, gender identity, relationships, the whole bag. So, uh, yeah, that'll do for the moment. That's Feel free good. to ask me questions anytime. Yeah, thank you, Linda. So, Joan, your turn. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm Who am I? Who are you? What are you passionate about? What have about? I done? What do I do now? And what am I? what do I get passionate about teaching? Okay. Well, I call myself an advocate for ageless sexuality. Now... I've been called other things. <laughs> uh, I've been called other things by the media. Senior sex expert. My favorite, though, my favorite is Wrinkly Sex Kitten. <laughs> is that the coolest? Okay. <laughs> I think I used that one yesterday when I was talking to Sally Goldner. Did you now? Well, I, I think love it. I got called that before. So, uh, what do I do? Well, for the last 10 years, I have been writing and speaking about older age sexuality. I started because I was 
madly, passionately in love with a man who I, I fell in love with him when I was 57. I'm 71 now. And he was 64. And we were having this, besides being emotionally wonderful and fulfilling, and the hottest sex you can imagine. And I looked around and went, wait, why is this such a big secret that at our age we can have incredible sex? Why aren't there any books on this? And Robert said, well, you're the writer. I had been writing about health and fitness before that. Before that, I was a high school English teacher, but that's another story. There's interesting other stories there, but we're not Yeah, there are, but I'm not telling that one out loud. Uh, so he said, well, why don't you write your own? I said, all right, I will. Well, he didn't know that if I was going to write my own book about older age sexuality, it would be about him. <laughs> so that's what I did. My first book was a sexy memoir called Better Than, I'd Ever Ex Better Than I Ever Expected, Straight Talk About Sex After 60. Wrote that when I was 61. And then people started coming up to me and said, well, the bully for you, Joan, having great sex. I'm not, and here's why not. And they would list the things that were interfering with their enjoyment of sex. And I thought, oops, I need to write one more book. So I wrote Naked at Our Age, talking out loud about senior sex, which won a number of awards, and it addressed the problems. So the first one celebrated the joys, and the second one addressed the problems. But you know what? They haven't let me stop writing about it yet, because now I have a new book coming out called The Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50. Now, you'd think with Ultimate Guide, maybe I'm done with this. I don't know. But there's always more to say. There's always more information. There are always more problems that people bring to me that I find answers for. So that's what I do, and that's what I'm passionate about. Writing about sex, having sex, and talking about sex. Well, I wouldn't rule any of those out. No. Yeah. Like I mean, you've got to walk your talk around here, right? <laughs> exactly. So I'd like to know, we would like to know a little bit about you. Now, don't worry, you're not on the spot if you don't want to. But if you are willing, ah, we're interested in who you are, just in a sentence maybe, why you're here. And now that you've heard what we like to talk about, what do you hope we'll cover? Is there anyone who would be willing to share that? Maybe a few people? And I, I, they'd like you to use the mic because this is being recorded. So you can use a fake voice if you want to. And if you don't want to be recorded, then yeah, don't speak. Anyone willing to start it out? We don't want to put anyone on the spot. We just, you see, the reason we're asking this is that we could talk for six days about these topics and not even repeat ourselves. So to make sure that you're getting exactly what you showed up hoping for, share what that might be. Hello. Thanks for starting it. Hi, I'm Helena, and um, I'm a sex educator as well, but um, my mother is a geriatric nurse, so I grew up in nursing homes um, from when I was very small. And I remember my mum complaining a lot about um, how couples would be separated once they were in nursing homes. I've actually told Linda some of these stories and I'm actually quite passionate about it. And I'm interested in what we can do. You know, I'm 15 years away from being 50, um, but I will be, you know, and I'll be in nursing homes, so I reckon put some legwork in now yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that they're great by the time we get there. 
um, and also help everybody now. So if any tips on how we can support, how we can be good allies and advocates and, and help this whole situation would be great. That is excellent. Could we hear a few and then we won't just do it as question and answer, but we'll, we'll cover this one. I love that one. Thank you. I love Lena. that. Yeah, let's yeah. change the world. One mercy yeah. at a time. Yeah. Oops, here's Peter. Thank you. Hi there, uh, my name's Peter, I'm 54. I'm noticing that over the last 10 to 15 years that my body doesn't quite want to do the same things it did when I was 25. And that's one of the reasons I'm here today. Mm. Uh, and the other is just about the mental preparation as I, I still feel very young in my mind and in my body. Uh, but as I said, my body's starting to not want to do all the things I want to do. So I'm trying to project what it's going to be like in 15 years' time from now, or even 20 years' time from now, and like Helena just suggested, preparing for that period, the next stage of my life. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you. I know we're going to, we're going to address this after everybody's had their go, but I read some research yesterday that said if you, if you believe or you feel you're younger than your chronological age, you're going to live longer and be more healthy. So that's a great place to be at, Peter. Hello, I'm Carl. 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 I'm 62. And when I was 24, I discovered the lifestyle of polyfidelity, which back then was called group marriage. Uh -huh. And it felt like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is just right. Uh -huh. It's not being monogamous. It's not being promiscuous. It's sort of a high commitment, low promiscuity, full-fledged relationship. So it's a sweet spot. And it's been both extremely rewarding, but also extremely challenging uh, in terms of finding other people who also feel comfortable in that sweet spot between the extremes of monogamy or promiscuity or solitude. And what I've noticed uh, since my hair's turned gray is that it's become virtually impossible to bump into peop uh, women who are um, comfortable with um, alternative lifestyles. So you'd like to hear more about how to go about an alternative lifestyle? Is that what you, what um, the challenges of being older and in a type of alternative lifestyle, how it's a minority of a minority and just how you have to live in a city of three million just to bump into the occasional person who can share your, your um, position in life, even if you're not happen even if there's no magic. Yeah. there as well. It can be very an isolating experience. Um, the other thing, that, just in terms of general relationships, I, I saw it most starkly in when I was living in Greymouth, New Zealand, was the number of women that I met in my age range who seemed to have had such a long, hard, painful marriage of it mm -hmm. that when they were divorced, when they were widowed, the last thing they wanted was to have any faith or trust in romance again they just said oh mm -hmm. you know he was lousy in bed he was mm -hmm. emotionally detached mm -hmm. i don't want to go through all that because they they sort of thought that especially in i guess certain social circles it's um that's why all men are so why bother trying again mm -hmm. wow oh whoa so just, just you know just to lighten up just, just lighten up the evening issue of yeah. social change yes and attitude change yep oh Great, thank you. 
Hello, I'm Tara, I'm 31. And I'm here for a few different reasons, partially because I don't plan to remain 31. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice it's age, but still. And I'm very interested in how it will be like to be older and queer. And I'm also, professionally, I have a strong interest because I'm an emerging occupational therapist and I am quite shocked how a lot of my colleagues seem to think that in rehabilitation with people who are older than, I don't know, 35, yeah. that they don't really address anything about sexuality. Yeah. And I think that's a great shame. Well, we've got our first four days of topics. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and at any point, um, especially if we're not in the middle of a sentence, if you there's something you would like to bring up, you signal us by stepping up to the microphone. And, and if you want to buy a glass of wine, don't just do it as well. Yeah, OK. Yes, um, use the mic though, thank you. Don't apologize. No, this is good. Just because I think this might sm like come through the whole conversation yeah. is um, as a sex educator encouraging people to workshops and events that I run or that I promote for other people, I always want to encourage diversity and I get older people going, oh, I'm going to be the oldest person in the room and mm -hmm. that kind of uncomfortability. And in terms of allyship and bringing queer people in and, and gender and all of that, um, like I, I, I've just realised I've got this incredible access to like tell me how to be the best ally I can be wow. and how to bring these people and things I need to say to make them comfortable. Sorry, thanks. I am totally in love with this audience. I have to tell you. Oh, All right. Please. <laughs> Hello, I'm Bev, I'm 66. When it comes to the issue of menopause and health issues for a male, um, that like, say, heart issues or um, prostrate that reduces the interest or not, I don't think men lose interest in sex. I don't think they do ever, but the ability to achieve it well. Mm -hmm. ah. Good. That's so really, yeah. the, those sort of medical issues, while you're still fitting well and some working, some not, uh, they're still difficult because the actual... You're talking about erections The chemistry's that there, but the physical yeah. trigger isn't. Okay. Great. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. So to speak. Any more before we? No, don't apologize. This no, is perfect. I think that, I this think is that perfect. Links a bit with an earlier. Yes, it well. does. So it's all beautiful thread. Oops! Uh -oh. Yay! Oh! oh. <laughs> <laughs> we came to the right place oh, tonight, did didn't we? The right people came too. Yes. So there's two components to what I forgot. One component is. I was always led to believe that as a man, as you get older, you lose testosterone and you lose interest. And I want to know when that's going to happen, because it hasn't so far. <laughs> Good. Um, but the other one is about the difference in terminology and definitions between words like sexuality and sensuality. Because mm. I'm finding that what I'm progressing into as I get older isn't, put it crudely, just the desire to get off. It's more the desire to experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be an interesting part mm -hmm. of conversation. Yes. Thank you.
How many of you ask your parents permission before you choose to have some kind of sexual encounter with somebody else? At what age do you want to start turning that over well, to your, your children? Sorry, your children's permission. I meant children. Yeah, so I know what you meant. But, I mean, think about it. Are you, are you ever going to get to the age where you're going to say, okay, I'd like my child to make that decision for me? Ew, right? <laughs> so how do we make that for ourselves? How do we advocate for people who have not been able to, to make that decision? And I think one of the things we should do, and, and I have this in at the end of the Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50, I have sort of some public instructions if I am in a nursing home. <laughs> I want plenty of outlets <laughs> so that I can plug in any sex toy for recharging that I want. I want to have all my sex toys there. I and mean, we'll talk about sex toys some, I hope you don't mind. And if my door is closed, don't open it. You know, give me privacy. <laughs> How often do people in nursing homes get any privacy? Whether they want to have sex with themselves, with a toy, which, of course, where are the toys? And I would love to see, here's what I want to see in nursing homes. A lending library of sex toys, where weekly they deliver new ones. Now when people can, oh, I want to try that for a week. You know, then we pick them up, the used ones, and sterilize them, and, you know. I think that would make nursing homes more fun, don't you? I definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think the, we. What do you reckon the barriers to that might be? I think it's a great concept. <laughs> what might be the barriers? Because once you work out what the barriers are, then you can address them. Yeah, that's true. Well, for one, it's what I call the ick factor. The ick factor is our society's view that if aged people want sex, there's something really icky, disgusting, or at the best, ludicrous about that. Yeah? I mean, how many, how many jokes do you hear? How many cartoons do you see? Yeah, yeah, take, off, take out your teeth before you do that, okay? That'll feel really good. We should not be joking at the expense of aging. We, I mean, I've got jokes about aging that I enjoy, but they're not at the expense of people who are older. We make older people the butt of our jokes in society, and I know it's no different here in Australia, is it, than it is in the United States. We are sexual beings from birth until death. We are. There is no expiration date on sex. There is no time in our lives where we go, oh, okay, oh, sorry, I didn't know that was it. Okay, let me move on to something else. Now, we, should I stop talking? Now? No, no, I'm just thinking, is this the time to say, what do we mean by sex? Because as we've already had some questions okay. about, about the functioning of sex yeah. not perhaps working mechanically like it used to. Yeah. So let's, maybe we could... To define what the hell is sex? Well, that's the thing we need to redefine what sex is. Because if we think of sex as what it was at 20, the interactions that were, that were sex to us at 20 may be very different from what is sex to us at 60, 70, 80, and beyond. And I think today's 20-year-olds have had access to much better resources than we had when we oh, were 20. We had no resources, are you kidding? Oh, backseat of the car. Well, yes. Actually, well, one, one of you my, call one, that a resource. <laughs> the car might be the resource. <laughs> no, but one, one of my, there's a wonderful line from one of my 
PhD research participants who said sex was a quick hump in the back seat before he dropped her off at home. So, yeah, there was no thought about mutual pleasure wasn't yeah. part. It was just, just yeah. But I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking about some fabulous resources like bookshops like this, things yes. like Scarletine, oh, yes. where people can access oh, information, information right, yeah. online really well. But even when I had books, and I was, I'm, you know, baby boomer, sexual revolution, I had access to the... But how old are you? See, I haven't done that. I'm 59. Okay, there's a difference between 71 and 59 in our brain. Yeah, and probably from people who are 49 or 39, and yes, all different access. But but there was a lot of information in the university newsletter that was out there about Mm -hmm. stuff. But it's still that it's even with the information, it's part of it. I think is the confidence to stop the communication skills to be able to go. Okay, let's just discuss this because it's always easier to do something than to talk about doing something. And that's part of the skill, the communication skill that comes with aging. I Absolutely. Think. In fact, I have a, a story that's it's in one of my books, um, but it really illustrates this very well. I, I write a blog, nakedatourage.com, and I hope you'll visit it, which is all news and views about a senior sex. And I've been writing it for 10 years, which surprises me when I realize that has sex toy reviews from a senior perspective, and it has all sorts of news and views. And, uh, and I, have, I invite comments. And I had a question for someone who said, I am a man aged, I think you said 80, uh, and I can't seem to get my wife aroused anymore. She has always loved having her breasts caressed, but now, no matter how long I do it, she just doesn't get aroused. What do I do? About the same time, I got an email <laughs> from someone who said, I used to really like having my breasts touch, but now it just annoys the hell out of me. My husband won't stop mauling my breasts. <laughs> I can't tell him because I don't want to hurt his feelings. What do I do? Now, I don't know for sure this was one couple, but it could have been. And what's missing from their interaction? Communication. If she had said, now, I would not ever advise her to say, I hate it when you maul my breasts. Can you imagine how long this has been building for her to come out with that statement to a stranger? But what I would advise her to do, and what I would advise anyone to do, is to say, because I'm aging, my responses are different than they used to be. And I know you're really trying to please me when you caress my breasts, and I love that you're trying to please me, But could we explore some other ways that might turn me on more now? Because my sensations are different. Now, could you hear that from a partner? I mean, that'd be sort of a nice invitation, wouldn't it? So different from, would you stop mauling my breasts? So the communication, the big C word, communication, is the most important part of this. If we're partnered, how long since, you know, for, for many older people, how long has it been before they actually had a respectful and loving sit-down talk about what turns them on and what they'd like to try? 
And I know Linda will talk about how often what it is isn't just, would you touch this body part instead of that body part? It could be a total other thing. Can we open up our relationship? Can we explore the, this that I thought I had tamp, tamped down okay that wouldn't be important to me? It's really growing in importance now. I bet you can take it from there. Yeah. Um, Getting warm in here? I'm well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a conversation no, I'm just thinking be careful how much I disclose in public I have had recently had conversations of this kind mm. that have just been amazing and empowering and wonderful to have but what you need and, it's, and, and really good clear outcomes that have been fantastic but I think in order for that to work, you've got to have both people wanting to have the conversation yes. to start with. Because today I talked to Richard Stubbs on 774 on the radio, and he was, he was, he was reading out a text from people who, who were saying, you know, my wife doesn't, isn't interested anymore, and we haven't had sex for years. And, and coming across the really negative, well, you don't want to raise the topic because you don't want the person to reject you, and all of that kind of stuff. So just getting to that point of being able to have, a, let's talk about our relationship and might be for some people too terrifying because they're afraid, go away, I don't want to talk to you anymore. If you're, if you're suggesting that something might not be right, then it's all over. Yeah. So it takes, it's a, it, you really, you are, you are having a risk yeah. when, it's risky behaviour to, to start to maybe, the boat might be really boring and uncomfortable and not exciting, but you, if you, the rocking the boat by asking a question might, people are worried they're going to, you know, tip you over. Very true, but life's too short for bad sex. And, and maybe the relationships run its course, and that's a whole different thing. That's very true. Carl too. clearly wants to say something. <laughs> Carl. On this topic, yeah. about 15, 20 years ago, I discovered this wonderful board game that was called Foreplay. Oh. And what it was, it was a communications-enhancing game that a couple would play and it talked about all kinds of topics about romance. It was almost like Trivial Pursuit to help <laughs> each other dis discover each other. And it's out of print now. Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to find some board games, just some couple foreplay games mm -hmm. like that that just open up the communications mm -hmm. in a playful discovery sort of way. Yeah. Certainly a therapist can be really helpful for this. And mm. I hear from so many couples that are stuck because one of them doesn't know how to bring up this or bring up that or they're doing the same thing. One of them's unhappy. One of them doesn't want sex anymore and thinks the other one shouldn't either. And, and, and somebody might say, let's go and see a counselor yeah. or a sex therapist. And mm -hmm. again, if both people don't mm -hmm. want to go, which doesn't mean that one person can't go on their own and, right. and work out strategies for themselves. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so maybe maybe everything's hunky dory. You get on really well. You, you know, like to eat the same food and read this, talk, watch the same TV shows. But your sex lives, and you've got a mortgage or children and all that history. But rather than well, let's divorce because the sex isn't any good. That's a different conversation. That's a, a bit. It's, it is risky about mm -hmm. opening up the relationship. Uh, which which, and then there's there are people around who can and books, the ethical slut. Great book on one of the best books mm -hmm. on relationships of communication mm -hmm. I've read is down there. I noticed so that kind of thing can be a, a, a resource for people. Yeah, and I have examples in the Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50 of actual conversations you can have about sex, how you bring up 
certain things with, with real wording, which of course you'd want to finesse it to make it yours, so it doesn't sound like you memorized it, but at least it will get you thinking, there's a do say this, don't say that kind of things, which would, which would help people. But why don't we talk about some of the physiological things? I think, yes, things. moving on. Yeah. Because there are sometimes... We shouldn't define what sex is either. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> in my view, sex is whatever is sexually arousing, which may or may not lead to orgasm, which may or may not be what used to be what sex looked like. I think that if we can open it up, like sometimes with the physiological problems that, um, okay, my penis isn't working the way it used to, my, <laughs> my uh, clitoris isn't working the way it used to, and it, I don't like my breast small, whatever it might be, that <laughs> my vagina is atrophying. My vagina is atrophying, and I don't want you to touch it, and don't want anything in it. Often, if we can cheerful topics, really. Yeah. What's that? Cheerful topics. Cheerful topics. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, some of this is the reality. Yeah, yeah. Some of this is the reality, and some of the reasons for people withdrawing emotionally from each other, or, or, and I'm not. I don't want to assume everybody's coupled either. You know, many mm. of us are not mm. coupled. Many of us are unpartnered and either having sex with ourselves or not having sex at all or wanting to have sex or you know wishing or thinking I remember sex don't I and and if you're looking for finding new partners mm -hmm. and and if, if part of the negotiation of, of a sexual encounter with a new partner is that well I want to do something sexual and erotic with you but but my penis doesn't work or, yeah. or there's no penetration thank you very much because that's too painful that's that's a difficult conversation to have um, for a, with a casual partner or difficult conversation with a new partner anyway until you've built up that trust which is a reason to go slowly mm. you know it doesn't have to be no sex or all the sex that we could possibly think of we might want to maybe do it the way we did decades ago for a while and just sort of warm up to it a little this a little that and feeling comfortable a little that and we stop and we talk about safer sex make sure that's in place we some things, though, about the physiology, and I want to be sure that this is real clear to everybody, that if there is especially a sudden change in physiological function where erections don't happen or arousal doesn't happen for any gender or there is vaginal pain, anything that is a sudden change, you really need to consult a medical professional because these can be the first sign that there is another medical condition underlying it. Like heart disease. Like heart disease, like diabetes, like any number of conditions that will, do you know the expression, the canary in the coal mine? Mm -hmm. Is that, everybody's nodding? Okay. Um, difficulty with erections or difficulty with, uh, with clitoral arousal because it's really the same body part um, this can be the canary in the coal mine. It could mean there's something else happening. It's first, in, it, it's first manifesting in decreased blood flow to the genitals. But that can mean that the heart isn't going to get the blood either pretty soon. So you've got to see the medical professional. And here's something that is the real problem with that, is often the doctors don't know the answer. And the problem could be that you've been to see the doctor and you're taking a medication and it's the medication that's yes. a side effect and no one Absolutely. thought to mention that because why would you be interested in sex anyway? That's right. The, the assumption, the assumption 
oh, wrinkles, that must mean no sex. That doesn't even occur to us to mention it. Often it is the medication, often it's the medical condition that is being treated by the medication. It could also be interaction of medications, but you know it could be something as simple as the timing of medications. So if we go to our doctors and we go to our pharmacists, the pharmacists often are the best ones to be able to, uh, to answer this, and we present what exactly is going on, but we need to say this to our medical professionals. We need to say, my sexuality is important to me. And if you can't help me, refer me to someone who can. I'd love to get the whole room to say that. Okay. Repeat after, you're happy to repeat after, repeat after me? Repeat after me. My sexuality is important to me. My sexuality is important to me. If you can't help me, please refer me to someone who can. If you can't help me, please refer me to someone who can. Doesn't that feel empowering, just to have those words? If we as a generation, or we've actually got about three generations in the room, which I love, thank you. Uh, if we did this and we passed the word to do this, what would happen to the medical profession? Some of them would be thrilled and some of them would blanch because not, they don't get taught about it in, in medical school. But they're going to make it their point. They don't teach nurses. No. I, I work in public health. Mm -hmm. They don't teach the nurses about sexuality yeah. these days. No, it's no better in the States. Mm. But if we, as three generations, started saying that, what would they realize? That they need to get educated or they need to get a referral list. Mm. You know, they can't be experts in everything, but they need to know who, say, is the vaginal pain specialist. There are vaginal pain specialists. Just because somebody's having vaginal pain doesn't mean it's one thing or another thing. That it, Often we go to a doctor and say, I'm, I'm having vaginal pain. Oh, use more lubricant. Duh. <laughs> really? Oh, oh, wow, wish I'd thought of that. Come on. There's, um, another, people write me their stories, and that's how I... This is really good work. I love my work. I love being able to help them. And I had a woman write that, um, that she was in a relationship with a younger woman, and they were very much in love. And the older woman was in her 60s and suddenly just lost interest in sex. And she didn't know what to do. And the younger woman was very impatient. But the older woman just, you know, just I'm sorry. I wish I could I'm, I'll do what you want, but I'm not into it. And finally she went to her doctor, and the doctor said, we use more lube. So she went to that. Well, eventually the younger woman left her, ran off with someone else, and then the older woman had a heart attack. That's what it was about. That's why she wasn't getting aroused anymore. Oh. Mm, how and so the doctor, who just said, use more lube, so we need to not be content with a treatment that's not based on a diagnosis, right? Diagnosis first. Why am I not getting aroused, doctor? Let's get to the bottom of that. What tests can you run to figure out why I'm not getting aroused? Because you're in your 60s. No, not good enough. I just thought of something I want to make sure that gets said and included about, again, defining what is sex. 
I mean, a lot, for a lot of people, sex involves the genitals, but there's a whole lot of sexual activity that doesn't have to involve the genitals. Right. And I want to make sure that's kind of out there. So if for whatever reason you're not interested, in, if that's not what floats your boat, I love the idea of sensuality and erotic stuff that can involve whole body play yeah. or maybe kinky play or BDSM kind of play. That erotic massage. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't have to be about assuming there's going to be some kind of penetration as part yeah. of it. Because that, that's that's part of sexual play too, yeah. and what, the way people, and and because the biggest the best sex organ is the one between your ears. You know, oh, the yeah. brain is. The, oh yeah. Very often, um, a person with a penis will think, well, if I can't get an erection, there is no more sex. It's all over. <laughs> and often, rather than even discuss it with a partner, or with a new date or whatever. Um, the the tendency is to just say, oh, well, I'm just going to turn my face to the wall and not face it because it's too embarrassing. Talk to my doctor? Are you kidding me? That's like announcing it at the class reunion. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to help each other if we are partnered. We need to help our partner be able to talk to a doctor about sex, too, and find out just what is going on. Uh, and, and, and I want to tell you that... I, there's a sex educator in the States, his name is Michael Castleman, and he came up with this distinction between erectile dysfunction and erectile dissatisfaction. Ooh. Isn't that good? Ex explain the yeah. distinction. Erectile dysfunction, as a medical term, means that the person cannot get an erection. And no morning erections, no self-stimulation erection just doesn't happen anymore. But most people are not dealing with that. Usually it's, well, I can get an erection when I'm alone, but not when I'm partnered. Or I can get an erection, but I can't keep it long enough for penetration if that's what I want. Or it comes and goes, or if I try to put a condom on, it's all over. Erectile dissatisfaction, undependable erections. I think. Well, I presume that would apply to people with, with clitorises as well. Well, yes, it would. Yes, it would. Um, that so, seems more complex, maybe it isn't, maybe just because it's not such a, we, we can't tell visually what's going on yeah. so well. Um, but for people with clitorises, well here's something that um, is a really important tip for, uh, for people who say, for example, I'm waiting till I get in the mood but I'm so seldom in the mood and so I never end up having sex. Familiar with that idea. And here's something that is, that sex therapists know, but it isn't out in the general public at all, and I'm trying to get it out in the, in the general public. If the arousal works physiologically once you get started, get started. Don't wait for the mood. If you first let the physiological arousal happen, the mood will follow. That's the other way around from what we're used to. And particularly if we as feminists came of age thinking, no way am I going to do anything I don't want to do. And so we sort of translate not being in the mood with not wanting to do. And yet, if once we do have sex, we think, oh, why do we do that more often? Yeah? Then... That's a clear indication 
that if we just, if we're in a relationship that is healthy, I'm not saying if you don't like your partner, you're frightened of your partner, you're not safe with your partner. No, none of that. If you're in a relationship that is healthy, or if you're solo and you enjoy it once you get going, just let yourself get going. Because action can precede desire instead of the other way around. And, and getting going might, might involve uh -huh. beginning in the morning and saying, I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight. And maybe some oh, flirty yeah. stuff during the day or, yeah. or, or um, even making an appointment a week ahead and, oh. and coming up to it. Just taking that slow, giving the slow burn yes. time to build. Oh, I totally believe in that. I've always advocated for scheduling sex. You say, oh, it's not spontaneous. Well, spontaneity is vastly overrated at our age. I'm sorry. If we were to wait for spontaneity, I'd never have sex again. So, no. Planning. If you think of when you were first dating, I mean, think back on a really lusty love of your past to present. All right? Focus. Don't ask anyone else who they're thinking of. And if you think of when you were first getting to know that person, how did you prepare for a date? Oh my gosh, you were tingling about it for days beforehand, weren't you? Plan, what underwear shall I wear? What should we do? What, mm. And often we were stimulating ourselves in anticipation of this great event with this other. We can bring that back in our lives. Mm. Can I bring you just slightly slight change of direction sure. some could you offer us some tips for plan like like if you are scheduling sex and you're planning mm -hmm. for it what sorts of how might what kind of timing what sort of planning what are the things you need to think about i like that question linda all right what do you have to think about well first of all do you know that there are a list of something like 33 health benefits from having regular orgasms and by regular, um, a, once a week or more frequently. And I know the younger people are going to say, once a week? <laughs> Come on, we're talking about once a day. No, no. It gets more, since we have slower arousal, it needs to be an actual, maybe an hour or two. An hour is a quickie for us. <laughs> two hours is a date. And now I don't mean that we're having, for example, intercourse for an hour for a quick, no, no. I mean, we, we start out with, here's the ideal date, ideal date. First, you start out planning it, anticipating it, making the mood right, getting your favorite sex toy out of the drawer, whatever you need to do. I didn't mean negotiating a role play. Oh, negotiating a role play, okay. That can be fun. Okay. What will make arousal faster is if you exercise right before sex. Did you know that? I mean, it stands to reason. Oh, everybody's going, hmm, good. Gotcha on that one. Because if you are increasing blood flow to the muscles, to the, you know it works to the brain, you think better after exercise, your genitals are going to receive that extra blood flow too. Because a lot of the reason that, that it takes us so long is that we have this diminished blood flow. It's sluggish. 
So if we can speed that up with some exercise within an hour or so of our date, and this is something we can do together. We don't have to go, oh, I've got to exercise and then I'll be sweaty and I have to shower and I'm all stressed up, but how am I going to be ready in time? No, no, no. Wait till the date and do the exercise together. So you Whether, go for a walk. Go for a walk. Go dancing. Go dancing. Dance in the living room. Whatever it might be that is fun to do and that raises the blood flow. Then another part of that is to, oh, you go do one. I don't want to do all the talking. I'll come oh, back. Oh, well, I learned something from Joan today that if I'd read her book from cover to cover, I might have picked up. Again, it relates to blood flow. Yeah. Don't eat until afterwards. Right. Because, because if you have your meal, all the blood flow is going it's to digestion. digestion. The genitals don't feature there. That's right. So you eat after. Sex first. And now I know why when I was when I, in my... I always much prefer to have sex before I go out than afterwards. That makes perfect uh -huh. sense. Yeah. But, and you haven't... And back in the day when I was... You know, not sure what, whether I'd actually anything would eventuate afterwards. It was it meant I could go out knowing I was feeling kind of all calm and relaxed and not be anxious about what's going to happen later. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah. but don't but have your meal later because of the whole blood flow thing. And so, and what do we think of a romantic date? Oh, candlelight dinner. No, no. Have the dinner wait for you. Okay, so we've got this two-hour date. We're doing a little exercise first. We're going to snuggle a lot, maybe even, I don't know, take a nap together, whatever we need to do to be feeling, oh, the timing of it, when to do this. Okay, here's another tip. As we get older, we're not feeling ready to go all the time the way maybe we used to or maybe we never did because we have we, the, the, the depletion of hormones, both estrogen and testosterone, are very important to our sex drive, and with less of that going on, we're not feeling the va-va-voom uh, to have sex all the time. But if you, what I call, track the tingle, different times of the day, you feel more sexually alive. And if you just monitored that for a few days, did you know about that? I was just thinking that's the same kind of advice for PhD writing. When's the time of, <laughs> when's the time of day you yeah. write best? Yeah. Well, if you write best in the morning, write in the morning. Exactly. Or if it's late at night. So you can apply the same principle to whatever activity. Exactly. And so often when I ask audiences to, to, to think about this, they'll go, oh, morning's the best time, or early afternoon, or late morning, or maybe, maybe after coffee and a good poop, you know? <laughs> And then, oh, that's my time. So what are we waiting for mid quarter to midnight to have sex when that's the time we want to go to sleep? So yeah, so we schedule our sex dates at the time we are feeling most sexually alive. Now, I have had couples say to me, wait, I want to have sex at 4 in the afternoon. She wants to have sex at 10 in the morning. What do we do? You alternate sex dates. Easy. Duh. Cooperation. Yeah. Schedule it twice a week. Once is at 11 in the morning, once at 4 in the afternoon, and somebody's happy all the time. <laughs> and giving pleasure is, is really as wonderful as receiving it. If we don't have the pressure, we've got to both have orgasms. Or it isn't sex. No, it doesn't we, yeah, Take no. that away from it. Yeah. We're just going to explore, make ourselves feel good, exchange sensation. Make eye contact and actually just look at each other. Gaze. Yeah. Are we just jumping all over the place or are we actually addressing what you want to know? <laughs> oh, good. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Told you we could talk for six days. So now talk about some of the 
kinkier aspects. <laughs> oh, God, I hadn't prepared this one. Um, oh, really? <laughs> Mind you, I'd be preparing your entire life. I, well, true, true. And I certainly regale my, my colleagues in the postgrad lab with a whole lot of stories that they get very excited about Monday morning. They go, what, what? Um, okay. Oh, well, I read a wonderful tweet yesterday that somebody in Australia for a conference said that, that um, said, I said on public radio that heteromonogamy is a fetish. I just, so anything can be a fetish. Anything can be. I mean, kinky might be. I want to be kinky, which means I want to be heterosexual and monogamous, and that could be whatever it is that does it for you. Yeah. But kinky might be. Uh, oh, blimey! Um, you put me on the spot. I, okay, uh, let me let, okay, me, let, let, let me introduce let, something. It and might then... be something something as simple as the kind of touch that you like, or yeah. whether you want to be what you want to wear. So maybe you actually you're, you enjoy getting in a furry suit, or maybe you want to get wrapped up in glad wrap and stroke through the glad wrap, which I highly recommend. Oh, by the way. do you? Wow! Yeah, it feels amazing. And then Is people it? can cut little holes in the glad wrap and play. It's all it's, it's up to you. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff about things you, equipment you can buy in sex toy stores that are all specialised. But really, I went around Bunnings last weekend, and you just, there's just so many things in Bunnings. You, oh, I could repurpose that. <laughs> so it's about using your imagination and working out whatever gets you, gives you, it makes you laugh. If it makes you laugh and makes you feel kind of feel good, doesn't mean you have to actually get those nipple clamps on and really you know, do any necessarily. But even just thinking about it and playing with it. Can be going around, having going around the house and thinking, what? How can you repurpose everything in this cupboard, for example? Oh my, yeah. So I hear from a lot of older people who say that they have gotten kinkier as they got older, and they think it's because their sensation decreases, and so the things that used to turn them on, that used to be really erotic and sensual to them, they're barely feeling it anymore, and so they need to do more kinky or erotic play in order because to it's feel the arousal it. it's the it's what's yeah. happening in, in your brain that's that you the well, associations it's also that and the, the skin fun. isn't receiving it quite so easily but, but oh i see so by kinky mm -hmm. you're meaning like more intense yeah. sensation yeah sensation yeah. Play which, which again may which you may need to kind of what you like after you've been playing for half an hour might need what might be quite harder than what you enjoy at the start of that half an hour which is just ouch yeah no, not yeah pleasant. so it's again mm -hmm. it's a matter of Playing and exploring and make, and giving really clear, positive feedback, and it's the feedback stuff that that I've been learning mm -hmm. a lot about lately, which is um, having a common language and an rather not, not that oh stop mauling my breasts, which yeah. is really negative, yeah. but but actually having a conversation about let's play, let's and and I want to give you feedback and please have if someone says gives you feedback, so I'd like you to do. It. X rather than Y, you go, thank you, because they care enough about giving yes. you pleasure and yeah. you're working, playing together to, 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 have the, to have the feedback. And we can ask for that from a partner, too. Like we could, um, I, I think one of the best things to say is, show me how you pleasure yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now that, and that can be someone may find it too embarrassing, or others will go, yeah. <laughs> been waiting for you to figure it out but you know mind reading is mind reading is vastly overrated also it always yeah. was and it really is at our age sure Please. Um, i just want to uh, do you have much knowledge or anything to say about like men and prostate play 
like because it's something that yeah. just doesn't come up but it's out there and it should come up and it's yeah. fun yeah oh yeah thank you yeah definitely there is an i wonder if you have this book here charlie glickman's guide to prostate pleasure yes <laughs> definitely get that one if you're at all interested in prostate pleasure because charlie glickman is wonderful he's a sex educator in the states that i personally know and i mean we call him the ass man just because we know him and love him <laughs> but he has written and spoken extensively on this and has um there's a lot of fear around that there's a lot of fear of asking for that there's a lot of fear of oh that make me gay if i do that i mean come on we just don't understand and nothing wrong with nothing there's anything wrong with being gay well, anyway, of course not course, but, but it, nothing makes you gay by an act right right so um yeah that's a wonderful book that's very that it's very accessible. It's fun to read. It's easy to understand, and and it sort of gives the different level that someone can start really easy and small. And, and anal play doesn't have to be mm -hmm. confined to to male body people with no, prostate. No, of course not. Yeah. Because Tristan Taramino talks about yeah having anal sex. Having the, why did why does she like anal sex so much? Because she has the best orgasms. That yeah. Way. So yeah. it's about how you access mm -hmm. the. The anatomy, the pleasure anatomy in your body, and the best way to, in your body yes. that gives you pleasure, and that, yeah, overcoming that taboo. Yes, overcoming all the taboos. All the taboos. We have to just say no, no more taboos. Life's too short for taboos. I know. I was thinking about it. Yeah. There's a, a fabulous sex educator, Kate McCombs, who founded Sex Geekdom, and I know there are some sex geeks here, which is sexgeekdom.com if you're interested. There's a Melbourne chapter. There's a Bendigo chapter. There's a New York, San Francisco. Um, and she writes a blog, uh, katemccombs.com, and one of the things that she's written about that I really like is the idea of having a sex lab. Mm. Let's have a sex lab, I Ooh. say, I have said, where, where the idea is we're going to experiment with something we haven't experimented with before or, or something we'd experimented with years ago and want to have another, it didn't work, let's try it again. So that, and you, you kind of metaphorically put on your white coat the lab coat, and you go, well, we'll try, and we discuss, and you plan the lab, and, and then you try it, and then you have, evaluate what happened as to whether it works or it doesn't. So there's no sense of failure, because it's a right. scientific experiment, yeah. and, and it's about the outcome. And that, it, with, with someone, with a partner that, who you're comfortable with to play in that way, that can be really good fun for exploring oh, yes. a different way about doing something. So, so it's not about, we have to have success, it's a sex lab, so maybe it will work, and maybe it won't, and we can tweak it. That's do it great. differently next time. And if something doesn't work, then we laugh about it. There's nothing, there's no, if we could relax the goals and just say, let's just find pleasure. Let's see what pleasures us now. Mm -hmm. Often we don't even know that. As we get older, we're more aware of what doesn't work than what does work. Oh, oh, that doesn't mean nothing works. It just means that we need to explore that. We try need to open different. ourselves to trying things that are different. Tell, talk about sex toys. Because we haven't really talked about. Have, I was looking at your blog the other day, and there was a there was a particular review of something that was your favourite toy. But maybe you've changed. Do you have a favourite? About every few months, I have a new favourite. But yeah, I have a few favourites. I'll tell you, I review sex toys from a senior perspective. And are you asking what would that be? I mean, how is that any different from a junior perspective? Or Actually, what do you reckon? Anybody got any ideas? What might a senior perspective be? An older or 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 a, even not necessarily senior, but a disability perspective. 
Well, that's different. I, that is different again? It, yeah. I mean, that can be, because what I'm doing is reviewing from a senior perspective. I don't know from a disability perspective. Fair enough. You see? Yeah. So um, okay. I, I can't claim that. Thank oh, you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay. First of all, a vibrator has to be intense enough that we can feel it when we have decreased sensation. It's got to go on long enough, because it takes us a long time to get aroused, without, oh, losing its charge or overheating or catching on fire. <laughs> it should be made of body-safe materials. Now that's true at any age, but at our age with thinning vaginal tissues, for example, or thinning skin generally anywhere. But it, the, the vagina is particularly susceptible. Okay. Okay. Um, about the anus? The anus is, is always susceptible, but for younger people too. Mm, okay. Because it doesn't, it doesn't lubricate. It doesn't self-lubricate. But for the vagina, the, the vaginal tissue is thin, and it's very easy to have minute lesions and maybe not even realize it until, ooh, penetration hurts or... Oh, that, that lubricant burns, or it allows access into the bloodstream. And I don't know if you're aware of this, and I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the United States, sex toys can be made of materials that are illegal in baby toys and illegal in dog toys. <laughs> These same chemicals can be in sex toys even penetrative sex toys. Now, it's no better here, is it? Uh, you don't think yeah. it's any better? The regulation. Yeah. So, Very little regulation. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. probably the same worldwide. So there are companies that make it their business to only make their sex toys out of materials that are medical grade, uh, for example, silicone, Although some sex toys that are made in China, for example, are labeled silicone, and they're not. Um, there's Stainless a, steel, glass. Steel, glass, fine. There, there are types of plastic that are good. But the ones that aren't good, they leach chemicals. And you can, you can tell for some of them. Like if there's a smell right out of the package, mm, not good. The good stuff doesn't smell. If... Um, if it oozes oil <laughs> when it's stored, not good. There, is, um, there are a couple of sex toy retailers that have been doing groundbreaking work on this in the States. Uh, Metis Black from Tantus and uh, Jennifer Pritchett from Smith and & Kitten. And they do things like they'll take sex to jelly sex toys. Jelly sex toys are the worst, right? But once they're categorized as jelly, they're made of materials that are carcinogenic and that break down. What they've done is they've taken some of these sample toys, put them in a big jar, sealed the jar, and watched. You would not want what happens to those toys to be anywhere near, let alone in your body. They melt together, they ooze, they deposit oil all over the side of the jar. I mean, really disgusting stuff, and you think, I'm putting that in my body. Don't do it. So the sex toys absolutely have to be of body-safe materials. Now, here are some things you might not think about from a senior perspective. I have wrist arthritis. I need, 
I need my sex toys to be easy, ergonomically easy to hold for a long period of time if necessary, to be light enough, with a couple of exceptions, magic wand, magic wand, uh, to hold for a long time without that wearing on my wrist, making my wrist hurt. Also, we want to be sure that a sex toy at our age, we can read the controls without having to put on a reading glass. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's a buzzkill, literally. <laughs> Especially if we meant to turn it up and we turned it off. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Often, we can't... Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting all tangled up here, trying to, not to lose my glasses on the floor. Um, often, we can't read the controls and we can't feel them with lubed fingers. We need a lot of lubricant. So that means our fingers are lubed. That means the sex toy is lubed. I mean, if, if it has a raised button and we're supposed to be able to tell the difference between the plus and the minus, try that with lube on your hands and see if you really can. So I make sure that the sex toys I re that I review are reviewed, first of all, for how well they work. Okay, sure, that's the thing. But they also need to pass my criteria or be so good that it doesn't matter if they don't. Magic wand. Here's the thing about the magic wand. The magic wand is monstrously heavy. Who knows who has a magic wand? It's none of my business if you have. Okay. <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about, though? Okay. Oh, no, okay, so explain okay. what it is. Good, yeah, thank you. The thank you very much for, thank for you. saying that. I appreciate it. Magic wand is this big old thing. The wand part is that big. You hold on to it, then it has this big head. Well, like the size of a fist on the end. Yeah, it was your tennis ball size. And, and that part is great because that get, hits a wide area. I like that a lot. But it's a heavy old thing. The thing is, the magic wand is so strong that it doesn't matter because I don't have to hold it for very long. So that's okay. Now, it's, it's not called the magic good. wand anymore. They tried? The, yes, the it is. It's not called the Hitachi anymore. Oh, it's just the Hitachi part because yeah. Hitachi got it, decided at one stage was going to stop making it because they were a bit embarrassed about being associated with but, but, so, but then Fiber they got, bought it. They got, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's still called the magic wand, and it's gone through several generations. I think I probably had one of the first ones because I bought mine when I was in my 30s. My first one, now my third one. They don't die, they all are still alive, but they're now made, they're now rechargeable, so you don't have to be tangled up in the cord. And that's just absolutely marvelous. And believe it or not, the new rechargeable is even stronger than the original. Woohoo! Oh my and, God. And the magic wand is a toy that can be used by anybody. Absolutely. And so it just, you need extra sensation and extra stimulation, that thing vibrates like crazy. That doesn't mean a, a, a toy has to be that big to be satisfying, however. Um, and this is an external toy. It's a size matter. No, this is not penetrative. There are all sorts of shapes, sizes. Oh, please read some of my reviews. Please. I mean, they're so much fun well, to Well, you've write. done all this. I mean, you've worked so hard for uh, on our behalf testing these yes. toys. Yes, I mean, it's a hard job. Somebody's got to do it's it. It's a tough job, you know. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. <laughs> Yes, very noble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have other criteria, but those, those are the main ones. And uh, when I review a toy, I actually have now a number of retailers and even manufacturers that can't wait to send me new toys because they want to know. They want, it, they want this demographic. 
they want to sell to my generation. So I'll help you do that if you make a toy that's good enough. <laughs> now, another thing I think that's part of that, and I should say that, is for penetrative toys, there are many of us who maybe would have been happy with a, a girthy toy in our past, and now it's just not that comfortable. And so for penetrative toys, we want it slimmer. And there are some, actually, Tantus is now coming out with a whole line of slimmer dildos. I won't say just for me, but when I, when I encountered the head of Tantus at the last conference that we both attended, she said, Joan, I can't wait for you to see. I've finally done what you asked me. So it's coming, so to speak. We, there's a chain called Device, and they're made in New Zealand, and they, oh. they make their own, they do all their own stuff, and there's oh. a huge, they have a huge range of dildo sizes. Uh-huh. Though, uh, not to anybody wants to speak about any, anybody, well, anybody else Anyone wants to, to make, sex toys? Talk sex toys, make suggestions about Australian companies, or? <laughs> okay. What was that? Wild Secrets. Wild Secrets. Can you do that to the mic? Sorry. My name is Narelle. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm really interested in sort of the accessible aspects of mm. sex toys. So I've mm -hmm. sort of written a guide, but for, from a similar perspective, looking for you know decreased sensation or increased sensation yes. and all that, and accessibility of buttons and how easy that yeah. to recharge and everything. But I was just going to say, um, so in Australia, I, I emailed device a couple of times, didn't hear back, but Wild Secrets are the only ones that have got back to me really quick, smart on all occasions, and they're really quite cheap. So, mm. um, are oh, you where are they? Well, um, no, they're not. They're a supplier. They're your supplier. Oh, okay. They're a supplier. supplier. As far as manufacturers go, I haven't found too many here. There was a lady over... Here, Victoria, who is made. Oh, Victoria's meant to be coming tonight, but she's sick. Handmaiden? No, there was a, this, a silicon oh, lot called Handmaiden, oh. but they, I think she went. That's a good name. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> they were really sort of ergonomic and sort oh. of. Um, they didn't have vibrating component, they were just dildos, but they were sort of really molded. Mm. They were all, they're going to be awesome, and I don't think she continued on. Oh. There's, there's, uh, the people, there's some people at RMIT in the industrial design department who are very interested in, in sex toys and uh, ergonomics and psychology and different bodies and particularly with ageing. I think yeah. Joan's meeting up with someone later in the week. Yes, I am. Yes, to yeah. discuss such things. So there's definitely an interest out there. Yeah. And I think any of the, the really, the, 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 the re smaller Six, oh, woohoo! Oh, magic wand! Magic All right, wand. this is the magic wand. This is the original magic wand that has to be plugged in. Where's the PowerPoint? Oh, right. All right. You actually can't, you can't, if you get them in Australia, you have to also buy a converter. Yeah, oh. you actually, they don't do them in Australia. There is a company that makes them the same, they're called Medicine. But everybody reckons they're not the same. Oh. Oh. Because there's a Lilo wand that's about that size. The, the Lilo. Lilo, yeah. And I don't yeah, know. The smart wand. The smart wand, the smart wand right. I'm not sure how right. powerful it is by comparison. Do it's you know? pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. It's not quite. I mean, they're, tr they're working on the, the ergonomic handle, too. Right. <laughs> I've got the converter. <laughs> 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 Woohoo! Okay. Oh, God, is this a body safe material? 
Well, this one is, um, if it is somewhat permeable. So if you're using it with different people, it's not such a good idea. But if it's just your own. Um. Yeah, see, that could. Oh, okay, now I'm right now. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. There we go. All right. Thank you very so much. That's the magic wand. And, uh, and you can put a condom on them if you're concerned at all about, about cleaning it or sharing it or any of those for things. For cleaning it and sharing it, that works. If you're concerned about whether it's body-safe material... Always use a condom? Um, no, that oh. actually has never been proven. It's, it's something we've been saying over and over again, but Jennifer Pritchett at uh, Smitten Kitten stopped me, and I actually have an apology for having said that in, in my latest book. She said there has never been any research done on whether a condom really protects you from the, say, carcinogenic materials. Oh. So what it will protect you from is if you've got this safe vibrator, but you want to use it with multiple partners, then yeah, you put a condom on it. The way you put a condom on For each person. whatever you want to share, yeah. Mm. Um, but it, as far as it, can you take a jelly toy and make it safe by putting a condom on it? No evidence that that's true. We've always said that, I know. Oh, I always yeah. believed that. I always repeated that. Thank you. Hi. Um, I have a question that is Yay. somewhat related to what you were just talking about. You were talking about like vaginal tissue thinning over time and things like that. Um, I'm really interested in how, because you know, it's sort of this unspoken thing, we don't talk about cunts or whatever as we get older and things, but physically how bodies change, I guess, and I think that there's a lot of, um, like maybe within like different kink groups or people have said to me about like fisting and things like that, that, um, you know, your cunt's just going to be like kind of just this, I don't know, you shouldn't do that, you know, people have, I don't know how to quite explain what I'm trying to so say. Why that you might get stretched out. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Again. Yeah. Um, and also I've heard things like around, because um, I do um, like some manual labor kind of work and like I work in a trade um, around like heavy lifting and things like that around, it's kind of bad for oh, all this stuff. Yeah. I know. So I feel like that's all kind of nonsense and I feel like cunts are amazing and they're resilient and incredibly powerful. Yeah. So I'm always like get away from me with that crap. But um, I'm really interested in, like, obviously bodies change and how we have sex and how we think about sex is going to change and evolve, and I love that concept, and I'm not at all, you know, worried or I don't have a fear that I'm going to have terrible sex or whatever because mm. I always want to be thinking and engaging and things like that. But um, well, The fact is you're here now, so yeah, obviously yeah, totally. you're thinking um, and engaging. But I'm just really interested in your perspectives about how your own relationship to your bodies maybe have changed and how that has meant your sex has changed or if indeed, uh -huh. um, I don't know, sexual practices, if that has, you know, how that sort of has evolved how, when your bodies have evolved, if you... Yeah. Changed, I should say. Not yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Lots of really interesting questions. I'm not a physio or an OT, but my understanding is if you're doing heavy lifting, that's just in your, you know, bracing your core, that's actually going to be strengthening your muscles, which should ultimately give you better orgasms because you've got better muscle that's control. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Yes, sounds like all this. <laughs> yeah. So it's the myth that if you use your brain, you won't. Right. Yes, you will never yeah. get pregnant. Yeah. Yes, that's out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think childbirth loosens the vagina more than the, more than aging, but what does happen often is that because um, we may not be having regular penetrative sex, either, I mean, for any number of reasons, and then what often happens is it feels like the vagina shrinks and the vaginal opening shrinks, and then when we try to have penetrative sex, you can't even do it. But what often is really happening there is that we are, the, the vaginal opening is contracting and forgetting how to relax and open again. It's not that it's actually smaller, but that it's the way it's working functionally is, yeah. I want to use my dress to talk about rugae, R-U-G-A-E, oh. which, are the, which is the, the, fold, the name of the folds that are inside in the vaginal canal. And, they, and as you age, they kind of thin out mm-hmm. so that the rugae allow you to kind of, with, particularly when you're aroused and relaxed, and they'll stretch and, and childbirth. Again, you can go right back after childbirth, but eventually. Uh, but, but with aging, yes, these little folds do thin out, so the elasticity yeah. is diminished, just like, just like the rest of your face, the elasticity right. is diminished. So that's an aging thing. And, and you, there are medications, so topical estrogen is often used mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for women to, or people with, with vaginas to make sure that, that to, to assist in, I think there's a lovely, as a, I love, one lovely, Janet Ivanovich in, the, in those Stephanie Plum books, The, gran, the Granny, talks about keeping, keeping the parts all plumped up I think the plumping up of the estrogen helps the plumping up. Uh, the, the so, does or, so do orgasms. And so do orgasms. So yeah. that, keeping that blood flow, keeping the I mean, blood flow. The, the more orgasms you have, the more easily you'll have them, and the better your genitals will respond to them. I've recently started following on Tumblr an account called The Large Labia Project, which is, which is in, set up by a woman who um, has large labia and was aware that there was a whole lot of body shaming going on mm. around 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 vulvas and um, there's apparently I'd only heard about it through reading this Tumblr stream that that some people believe that the more sex you have the the longer your labia grow. Oh, that's that's, that's another one that's not true. Huh? Unless unless you're in a culture where you deliberately stretch them because that's seen as desirable, but that's actually that's yeah. not a yeah. that's that's a whole different thing. Yeah. What if we not you covered? Answered your questions? Did that answer those? Did you, was there something else that you raised? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and yeah. fisting. Well, it's again like anything. Uh, you, any, well, anal play, any kind of orifice play. You, you want to get it all warmed up, and you may it may yes. take some time to kind of get it ready yeah. to receive, and some time might be preparation over weeks, ready to receive whatever progressive you know size you want to put in it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I was saw oh. the, the confirmation and you know, your own input, and exactly around orgasms making things stronger and more. And about the so that's your prescription: have more orgasms. Yeah. And, and about the changing body stuff, um, I'm working on my own. That in, as Helena said, that internal age, that ageism, yeah. and so much of it's not from other people necessarily, or, but it's your own internal. Um, stigma around mm. around. Oh, I'm aging. No one's going to find me desirable. Or, I'm, or I've had babies, and look at those stretch marks. Or that kind of stuff. And it's got okay. Well, but look at this fabulous body, and and all the things I can do with it, and the fun I can have. And there'll be people exactly. who 
there's a, I think there's the phrase that Dan Savage uses a lot, there's a lid for every pot, or no, it's not, not Dan, one, one of the people I listen to on these sex podcasts that are hilarious, Cooper Beckett, there's a lid for every pot. But that yeah. sort of, there's going to be somebody who likes what you have to offer, yeah. who wants what you've got, and you which, want what they've got. Which is more of a reason to communicate whatever that is. And with that question about how do I find someone who's open to poly, um, at the, well, there are plenty who are. Just keep asking for what you want, and don't be satisfied with what you don't want, because life's too short now. I mean, it always was, but, but now we really know it is. We don't know how much time we I'm not, have. No, I'm not trying to wrap up just yet, but in the context of that Should point, we be thinking of that? Um, there, is, there is this yellow flyer on the seats. If you, if, you, if you happen to know someone who might be interested in looking at older people and, and, and exploring new relationships and possibly uh, diverse relationship types, there's, there's some yeah. interest. Just thought I want to mention that because it's in the context. There's another flyer. I'll talk about them both at the end, but I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that then. Yeah. Carl, you want to say something? A couple of times this evening we've touched briefly on the subject of the uh, male erection uh, challenges and also the, um, the, uh, the, the complications with vaginal penetration and such. Mm -hmm. uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I read a couple decades ago that the majority of women who are uh, broadly sexually experienced um, in, in enjoy it more or have orgasm more through cunnilingus than through mm -hmm. penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually preferable. So it seems like a self-solving uh, situation. <laughs> like, well, well, if she prefers to be licked, yeah. and well, it's a win-win. You know. There's no problem. Yeah. And, well, that, and, and you have a lot of fun with soft cock play too. You don't have to assume yeah. that a, a, a penis has mm -hmm. to be hard for it to be played with. There's any kind of those uh, sensual tissues yeah. and sensual play, and it's it's the, it's about the attitude, and rather than thinking again back to stigma, internalized stigma and shame. If your body's not doing what you think it should be doing, or and thinking, well, I'm a failure. Instead, okay, it doesn't do that, but what else can it do, and how can we play with yeah. what we've got? It's always been true at at all ages that um, that people with vaginas can get. Uh, can reach orgasm more easily through um, having the well through either oral or manual play than than through penetration for most not for all certainly nothing's true for everybody and um, if we just say well okay so it doesn't mean the penis is irrelevant if that's part of a partner it, it just means that the erection might not need to happen in order for us to have good sex one of the things that partners of people with penises sometimes don't really understand is how much they need to be able to give pleasure whether there's an erection or not. You know, we're sort of raised with, well, if he was interested in me, he'd have an erection. Well, it, that, that doesn't have anything to do with us necessarily anymore. Maybe it never did. Thank you all. Really thank you. Now. We just have to let go of some of that old upbringing. I call it unlearning our upbringing. That would serve us, I bet that you can all think of at least three things you were taught growing up about sex that you would be wise to leave behind now. And so when you get to be my age, there'll be about 20 things that you can leave behind. And it's freeing. It isn't that something is missing, although we may need to mourn what we aren't doing anymore. That may be a part of what we and need to do. And those missed opportunities. Well, if they're... <laughs> 
No time to waste, but yeah, missed, yeah. there's no point in regretting the missed opportunities. But. Just go after one you're not going to miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yes. I just wanted to ask a question that we kind of touched on a little bit with the ergonomics and things, but I was just thinking in terms of things taking longer with age and mm -hmm. how about challenges with stamina? For instance, I know yeah. the magic wand can apparently go on forever as long as there's electricity. <laughs> yeah. But can yeah. you talk a bit about stamina? Oh, absolutely, and... absolutely. That's true. That if we Great were question. to think, okay, this is what brings me to orgasm, and you have to do this now for 48 minutes. That that might not be possible. But you see, we can use that one thing that really brings you to orgasm. We can use that for the finish, the icing on the cake. There are lots of other things that will slowly arouse you that you can incorporate that can involve changing positions or bringing in a sex toy for part of it. So Having a break and a cup of tea. Have, well, you know, Depending then you lose on, you know, it. Just, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't no? suggest that. You, I'd lose it if you did that to me. Right, okay. HC, everybody's yeah. oh, different. Now we have to start all over again. What do you want to do that for? I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Peppermint, peppermint tea is good for oral sex, as in, as in. The because the peppermint oil. The, yeah, that's mm. a, that can be a stimulant. Mm. That can also be burning to some people, though. So be yeah. careful. Don't just surprise someone with that. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yes, don't surprise. Surprises can be fun, but there's a lot of stuff that's probably really important to negotiate. Much. Would you like me to surprise you with this at some stage? Yes, no. Yeah, yes. yeah. You can do it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm Mm. Certainly using, I know I'm talking sex toy, sex toy, but really a well-chosen, well-placed sex toy can be the difference between an orgasm and no orgasm. It's just sometimes that simple. So if you are engaged in partner play and you think, well, vibrators only from when I'm alone, figure out ways. Or just ways. for women, or just for vault oh, clitorises oh, and yeah, can't apply but on, for the, any on the, gender, on the For any gender, for any genitals. Yep. Think of a way to bring that up. I, I guess I should give an example from my life. Please do. Okay. So my sweetheart, Robert, when we were first beginning to have sex together, it was absolutely marvelous. He would bring me to orgasm with his fingers or his tongue, and we would have penetration, and then he would have an orgasm. And he would ask me over and over again, isn't there a way that you can come when I'm in you? And I said, yeah, if we... Use a vibrator in addition. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, it's old school and old. <laughs> and he said, I, no, we don't want anything mechanical in the middle of our lovemaking. That would just ruin it for me. Oh, okay. And then he'd ask it again, and then he'd ask it again. and then. So finally he said, okay, show me what you mean. Do you have the oscillator here? Is that familiar? This is a a vibrator that is um, endorsed by Dr. Ruth Westheimer. It's the only one she endorses. So I had named mine Dr. Ruth. <laughs> and so I introduced Robert to Dr. Ruth. And I, I ran it over his body so he could see what it is. And he said, oh, that's sort of nice. And then I showed him how I would use it on myself. And, and then he decided, well, let's just try it once. But if I don't like it, I know I ever want to see that again. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness, did we have a wonderful threesome? <laughs> Robert, Robert, me, and Dr. Ruth. 
And from then on, it just became part of our lovemaking. In fact, he would often say, we would, we would do lots of things to get our, each other aroused, and then at a certain point, he might be the one to say, let's get Dr. Ruth in on this now. Mm-hmm. My buddy, Dr. Ruth, he would say. <laughs> or when he wanted to signal me that he would like to have sex if we hadn't actually scheduled that particular date, he would take Dr. Ruth out of the drawer and put it on top of the dresser. I'd be, you know, barreling through the house and go, oh, look what's out. <laughs> yes. It looks, looks like an electric toothbrush. It does look yes. like electric toothbrush. It has several attachments. It, what I like about it, um, besides how it feels, it has a wand. It's a very slender wand and much smaller than that but like an electric toothbrush wand. And then the attachments, there's a number of different attachments. My favorite is one that's called the soft finger, but it looks like a marshmallow. So I call it the marshmallow tip. And the, when you hold it, it's slim enough that it doesn't get in the way between two bodies. So it can work when you're having penetration with a different person and just, it doesn't get in the way, but it, it just angles so that you can hit what you want for extra sensation. A couple minutes ago, we were talking about stamina. To the best of my knowledge, there's nobody in Australia doing it. Are you aware of any furniture manufacturers in America that that make uh, furniture, little accessories, not yep. kinky, but just yep. basically, you know, su- weight supporting yep. or positioning type of uh, enhancements Liberator. in the U.S. I don't even know if they're in the U.S. or if they're in England, maybe, but they're sold in the U.S. Oh, it is American. Okay, liberator.com. They make sex furniture. They make different cushions and wedges and things that are really marvelous because they are supportive. So someone, I'm so glad you brought that up. So for example, someone with a bad back or bad knees or whatever it is, you can just drape yourself over this thing or lie on it so the hips are elevated. Um, so that access is easier for someone not having to be on the knees, could be standing or could be rocking forward. And it just opens up a whole world of positions to people who may have reasons they can't get into the position that was their favorite their whole life. You know, they can't even do it because it hurts. Please. Hi, I'm I'm Stacey, I'm 45. Um, I love how people are identifying (laughs) themselves by age. Earlier, uh, you you said um, you don't know about disability, you're not disabled. But here we're talking a lot about eyesight uh, mobility. In fact, there's furniture around that type of thing, hearing. I'm just wondering what your definition of disability is then. Oh, I was just saying that I can't claim that these work for differences of disabilities because I'm, I just haven't explored that area. I'm not saying there isn't a lot of overlap. There definitely is a lot of overlap. Yeah, I yeah. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Fact, um, uh, there's a joyrider, so that's something that is disabled people use, but also I think yes. quite relevant to what we're talking about. That's now. a chair that. Yes, yes, I do know about that. I mentioned that in my book, as a matter of fact. And, and I heard about a product made by a company called Sports Sheets. Yeah. That it's that's almost like Velcro. Oh, well, my understand. It's a Velcro sheet, so you're not going to slide off. Yeah. Which sounded. Yeah. The um, fellow from Sports called me last week, in fact, oh. and he said, you We had wanted the most to. Interesting phone calls. I get the most interesting phone calls. 
He said, uh, we would like to expand our line so that we are addressing some of the needs of the senior po population. Because they have money and there's lots of them and they can make yeah. it. It's a business. Well, yes. sure. Why not? But whatever and the reason, help. they called me. They called yeah. you. Did they send you a free sample? Well, the they're, not, they're not ready with what, um, oh. what you know, they just said, help us know what to develop. So we're talking. Cool. Yeah. I think we've got to the stage where we say, what haven't we covered? Ask us mm -hmm. any more questions. Great, thank you. Hi, so my name's Toll. I'm a nurse as well. And um, I actually disagree that we actually did get really good sex education about the elderly in school, and it was never talked about again. Oh. <laughs> like all my experience of actually working as a nurse, oh, you, nothing you comes it. up. You, oh, you, you, you know, like at school, they did a really good unit on the elderly. They did a really good unit on the importance of elderly sexuality, really? the importance of privacy right. in nursing homes. Wow. All of that it was right. really fantastic. Yep. But yeah, like absolutely no follow through with oh. anything I've seen in the community, anything seen done anywhere else. You probably had a really passionate teacher who was that was their thing. Maybe that was anyway. Great. It yeah. takes a champion. Yeah. And when you say school, do you mean tertiary? This was, um, so this was, I did a diploma of nursing. I'm an enrolled yeah. nurse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and yeah, we did have really good educators, so. Fantastic. Um, yeah, like I think it is actually stuff that's supposed to be covered in the unit, like in a little ticky box thing that they give on, oh. but it's, I don't know, I don't know how well it was taught or just if it's something that I'm particularly interested in anyway, so I'm gonna fixate on as yes, this is the thing that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so for the question part, it's, um, I guess what advice would you give to people working in the medical professional and do you think this is actually something that a lot of people think about and no one talks about? Like, um, I'm aware that like, I work with a lot of elderly people. I work in rehab um, and we do a lot of, like, yeah, I work with a lot of OTs and stuff. That's why I was excited about them. But do you think this is a, uh, like sexual problems and like how to be more sexual as an elderly person is something a lot of people think about but just don't talk about? Or do you think it is more true that for a lot of people it's not as relevant to them and the ones that care about it are going to bring it up and how can we sort of address no, that without making the people that don't think about it be really uncomfortable it's about giving people permission to speak i reckon so if um certainly with uh, with with i know the research with with doctors and and patients each waits for the other to bring it up and often yeah. nobody does so it's not talked about yeah. so if you if you introduce if 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 the clinician is happy to raise the subject and then depending on the response that's relevant to me or that's not relevant to me you can kind of go from there I think makes a really good plan as a really good strategy. I sometimes talk to medical professionals and they'll say well I don't want to bring it up and make them feel uncomfortable and you know, make assumptions and so I I teach them to ask this question of their patients what has how has sex changed for you because before they were, if they were saying anything, it was, so is there anything about sex that we should talk about or that you want to ask? And no. Because no. it's very easy to say no to that question. Yeah, so easy to say no. But say, how has sex changed for you? It's, it's doing two things. One, it's normalizing it. You know, this is part of your health, and we're talking about your health. Because people it. ask about your bowels all the time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's not, you know. That's right. But since when was that a comfortable topic? And, and then the other thing it's doing is giving an open-ended question that you can't just answer yes or no to. You have mm -hmm. to say something. And then that is going to lead to what the real issues are. You know, like, oh, well, I wish I could tell you, but I'm not having sex anymore because there's too much pain. Oh. Well, maybe we can deal with the pain and work maybe on ways, strategies to manage that. Or, yeah. No, first find out what's, why. Oh, why the pain? Why ah, the pain? Yeah, diagnosis. Diagnosis before treatment. 
Yeah. Yeah. That that Kinsey in 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 his research used that rather than saying have you ever done X would be how many times have you done X. So uh, the, so there was yeah that was so automatically assumption and permission and normalizing whatever yes. it might be rather than having letting having people to having to out themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. Does that answer your question? A little bit. Yes. Largely, this is something I can try working to my set into my assessment of patients. But am I just going to be that creepy nurse that wants to know about people's sex lives? Yes, and that's about changing, and that's what Helena was bringing up. Changing the culture of the whole system is, yeah. which is where you need not just the odd random champion educator who's, who brings it up, but better to be the, the odd random educator than not to do it at all. I mean, think of the lies you're going to change for the better if you're the one that asks those questions. Helena. But I, but I think that in this topic is like, what is the language that we use? What is welcoming? What is yeah. the most, um, what is some of the, what are the top five things? Like I know body is a big, is a big thing yeah. or I'm just too old, I'm not going to relate. I hear that a lot, you yeah. know. Um, and I think that these two things, like how do we welcome them into sexuality spaces mm. and um, older people into sexuality spaces? And I think it ties really well with the nurse questions because they're kind of the same. Like, how do I not be the creepy nurse asking about sexuality? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some of it might be language, and you could help us with that. A, a lot of it is listening to how they talk about themselves. I mean, there are some... Sometimes you have to talk in a roundabout way. Other people would much prefer that you be direct. There's no one way of dealing with an entire generation of people. So it's listening, maybe more than talking, but making it clear, even saying um, sexuality is a, is a part of health, it's a part of life, and um, I, would, I would like to help you if there's some issues there. So how has sex changed for you? What, is there information? Do, might I have some information that could... One of the things that uh, Sally Goldner and I we talked mm -hmm. to her on Out of the Pan yesterday said, asked what sort of what it might be the issues, and I started talking about notions of consent. Uh -huh. And Sally was, who who does training in aged care homes around acceptance of uh, gender identity and, and and diversity, said, well, what about the intake form? So does the in oh yeah. So the kind of so even if mm -hmm. you're just bringing it back to those really so it's it's got to be a whole a whole organisation thing. What every organisation has their intake form. Yeah. So if it's something as 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 basic as gender, you know, yeah. male, female, male, female, other, other or, bi or whatever. Yeah. And and if sexuality is part of the question, mm -hmm. and you have and and then it, it comes down to staff training. So who may not be comfortable to ask the questions, and there's a ways of education of staff mm -hmm. so that they're comfortable with managing the questions around sexuality and so that it just becomes the expectation. And I think that's, that's where you're going to have a huge barrier because you may have all the, the best fabulous policies and forms, but if the individual staff members are... Yes. Then, then people won't, don't want to talk to them. You just have to... Not the creepy nurse, it's that, that nurse I can trust who I feel safe with, yeah. which actually I think is a much more powerful thing than thinking of yourself as creepy, thinking of yourself as the, as the one who is safe and, and trustworthy. This, and, yeah. and certainly, it's, a hard, it's a really hard question because I want to yeah. change the world and make yeah, everybody sex too. positive. Well, yeah. And it's a, really, it's a really difficult thing, but it is part of... And, and, you, and it's, so it's just changing the culture 
slowly, and it is changing, but it's far too slow for my liking. Oh, me too, but at least, I mean... But we're here. Here we are. <laughs> here we are talking out loud about it, and you showed up. Mm. And so if we just all radiate that around ourselves in whatever circles, however we reach people, and even if it's a matter of just saying to some some friends, some colleagues, you know, I heard this interesting talk and this topic was brought up and what do you think about that and how can we do this better in our work or in our lives? And, you know, you, you're going to help us, right? You're the ambassadors for lifelong healthy sexuality. And we're talking about people's well-being and if, yeah. they're, if, they're, if their sensuality and sexuality is part of their whole tri care, then it's going to be help for their overall, people's overall well-being as well, mm -hmm. which is great for the longevity and, and less morbidity and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Depression, and mental yeah, health absolutely. is a, a huge factor in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's about keeping it, keeping it positive. And if somebody tries to shame or shut down to deflect it, and that's, I guess, where the how do you how do you frame how do you phrase that deflection or change it? Do you, and that's that's a that's about the communication skills and the confidence. Have you got a suggestion, Helena, how you might phrase that? Phrase what? Which well, if somebody tries to shame you or shut down a conversation about sexual, let's say you're a you're a nurse or you're a care worker, yeah. and you and you want to be sex positive, and someone comes at you with a sex ne negative reaction, have you got some suggestions about how you might frame a response? Because that's something you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we all want to know and want to record it for posterity, having put you on the spot. I guess, you know, as a sex worker, I get it all the time, you know. Um, yeah, it's definitely a skill that you develop and learn and, and, mm. and, and think about. I think I normalize, I use really, really normalizing, normalizing language, you know, mm -hmm. because if somebody is triggered, which is what happens, um, then kind of bring it back to them, like, oh, you know, this is difficult for you, or, yeah, I don't have so, a good so that, immediate answer. So that's acknowledging answer. where they're at. So it's actually, mm -hmm. so if someone tries to shame or put down saying, this is uncomfortable for you. Yeah, exactly. Not, not you're wrong because you're negative. It's, it's yeah, not taking it personally. It's having mm. to not like stand in your strength and not take it personally. And it's like owning that it's not. It's it's okay for for me. And and sitting and 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 staying strong in that. Um, mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it's good. thank you. Sorry, and, and just. Seen as you know, I just said about sex work. Know, how yeah. do you think that sex work comes into this? You know, I've been a sex worker for more than ten oh, years it's, now. It's seven minutes to nine, That's and so it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, oh, most huge topic. Great, maybe really eighty percent of our clients are over fifty. So it's it's. I was just wondering whether how you see that fits into this as well. And I also say, if we want a sex worker, when, when we're in the aged care facility, yes. shouldn't we be able to have yeah, one? Absolutely. There's the library yeah. of the index, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean in the United States sex work is you have a question legal, or a comment? So yep. Have... Come to the microphone. <laughs> Thinking across people I know, mainly women um, who are my age and older, there is a, a big issue about modesty. Like they cringe at having to have a breast screen mm -hmm. or a pap smear. Mm -hmm. um, they cringe at any sort of 
uh, intrusion when they're in hospital and mm-hmm. people are coming and going and looking and poking and shoving. Yeah. Um, and I know this from a lot of women who are my age and older. They understand it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And even my own mother, who was a midwife all her working life, oh. um, loathed it. And a few times that she was in hospital and mm-hmm. um, for any sort of personal infection and things that, due to kidney issues. Because that means touch, all that kind of <laughs> that, per, in, intimate touch becomes clinical rather than pleasurable, and it's a whole other mind, and, and, and shameful rather than, again, a part of a... Well, difficult, a, difficult. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and I actually worked with a woman in England who'd been married for 30 years and never undressed in front of her husband. Uh-huh. Now, she would only be 75 today, mm-hmm. um, but there's that modesty mm-hmm. that is changed. I'm sure it's changed. And I'm sure by, you know, the time all these young people get to nursing homes, it'll all be different. Well, I don't but know. I think some, some will and some won't, because some people are, uh, are comfortable with public nudity and some people not. Exactly. And it, oh, some, and you, but you can change. It's just a, you have to want it, like, you know, the psychologist and the light bulb. It has to want to change. <laughs> mm. I think a lot of the old ones in homes now no. never would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We are at... Um, We're just about nearly up to time. About, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for bringing in the, con- the, the, the idea that, that a s- sex and sexual pleasure is, is also a service that can be provided and it doesn't have to be with a, with a partner you know. It may be that you employ somebody. And that's, I think that's, a, and that, again, written into the policy of the, of the organisation. There may be some staff members... The, the safe nurse, as opposed, who's yeah. rather than the one who is triggered by it, who is it's part of their role, becomes part of their role to help facilitate that, mm-hmm. and that facilitation can mean all different things, and that's another whole really com- long and complicated conversation, which we don't have time for, but and certainly the the the, the patients who are uh, feeling that way are going to gravitate towards the, the 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 caregivers that give them respect that don't, don't just see them as a slab of body that needs to be dealt with, but gives them respect and, and as much modesty as possible and maybe uses a little sense of humor too to lighten it up. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done, isn't there? And what fun we're going to have doing it. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. And all of you having fun doing it. Can I thank you, Tim? Oh, are we going to thank you? I've just got my list of we're going to thank you, but please thank right, us. Well, we'll thank let's you. first thank Linda Kirkman and Joan Price for being here tonight and being amazing. Thank you. Thank and we have said the books are on sale. Uh, and we also have lots of events here. And, and this is September at Hairs and Ainas, although I think every month is... Six months, Six months isn't it, Roland? <laughs> yeah. If you want to make it that way. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for being part of Hairs and Hyenas oh, program. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.